Sharon, and they were having an intense battle with each other, and one of them came to Captain Kirk to plea for favoritism, that they would give him a privileged position, and that he would banish the others. And when Kirk looked at him, he couldn't understand what the distinction was. Why would one of you be accepted and one of you not be accepted? And the guy says, well, it's obvious, and they couldn't figure it out. And finally, the guy had to tell him, because I'm black on the right, and he's white on the right. This is the distinction between the two races, and this was the basis upon which they were supposed to receive favored treatment, which got me thinking about favoritism and what favoritism actually means. We got a little definition of that to throw up there for you. Favoritism is the practice of giving an unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. And oftentimes, favoritism is extended for no apparent reason. One person gets treated better, and there's no substantive reason why they should be treated better. They just are being treated uh, and given some kind of privilege. Um, We usually think favoritism is bad unless we are the ones who are being favored. And then it's okay. And I actually have a picture that illustrates this, uh, what favoritism actually looks like. (laughs) So if we're the bird getting fed, then that's okay. For the other one, it's not so. Which made me think about favoritism in our families. Because we oftentimes, you know, have favorite in our families. In my family, the favorite was my brother, Steve. And everybody knew that he was the favorite. In fact, my mom is visiting here today, so if you want to fact check that, you can go talk to my mom and she'll verify that Steve was definitely the favorite. My favorite son, Travis, once helped me comment about this. by making. He was commenting on privilege and how we recognize whether it's good or bad. And this is the comment he made. Just because it's working for you doesn't mean it's working. So if we find ourselves in the favored position, we often think, you know, everything's fine. There's no problem with this because, you know, we're favored. We're we're getting the blessing of that. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's working for everyone. Which leads me to the question that I have for today, and this is the question. Does God have favorites? Does God show favoritism? And be careful before you answer. Someone yelled out the wrong answer in the first service. And then I had to take them to the Old Testament where we see some very clear teaching that God had favorites. He actually started by picking some favorite individuals and then that extended to an entire family and then that actually got extended to an entire nation. So that God selected these people and he said of these people, you are my chosen people and you will be my people, my special possession and I will be your God. And by saying that, he was actually picking them over all the other nations of the world. They had favored status. And if you don't believe me, read through your Old Testament. I'm going to read just a couple verses. These are from Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is what it says. This is God speaking. For you are a holy people. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people of his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the fewest of all people, but God chose you because he loved you. Doesn't that sound like favoritism? The main reason why God says, I choose you, is because I choose you. I choose to put my love on you. And then God, the Bible describes this God as delighting in these people, taking special delight in them as being his special possession. And that God actually separated these people out from all the nations of the world and gave them a special place. 
in his kingdom, gave him a special land to live on, and then he continued to watch over them. In fact, the Bible is pretty clear that God blessed these people because they were his chosen people. God had a favorite. He picked these nation, this nation of Israel. Show the picture. Okay, it's still up there. Um, the bird that's getting fed was the people of Israel, God's chosen people. All the other nations of the world, the other bird. Yes? If you don't believe me, I just invite you to read through the Old Testament and see if you don't get this picture, that because they were blessed, it actually resulted in some of these other nations actually receiving a curse because they were not selected because they were not God's chosen people. And all the people of God would have grown up with this kind of understanding of their favored position. And there was a number of things that were done constantly to reinforce this. So uh, some of the key things were in their worship. When they would go to gather and worship, they would recognize that there was only one God that, that was their God and that they were to worship no other gods, have no idols, no graven images. This was part of their worship celebration. But there also this extended into kind of everyday living. This favored status meant that they, as God's chosen people, were circumcised. This was a special sign given them to remind them of their favored status, that they were special. They were marked. They were set aside as being special. They were also given very specific instructions not to mingle with any other peoples. Don't intermarry. Don't cross races. You stay within your own people. This was very important for them, and this was a a high value. And then they were also given a very unique dietary requirement so that they had to eat a certain way. So every time they went to the market, every time they prepared a meal, everyday farming, every time they put something in their mouth, they would be reminded that they were living this way because they were God's chosen people. They were God's special people who had been set aside, and they would get this reminder daily. And this was so important to them that they wanted to weave it into the very fabric of their life how unique and special they were, how favored they were being God's people. And it meant the difference between them being declared clean or unclean as God's people. It meant the difference between them being blessed or being cursed. It meant the difference between them experiencing God's favor and experiencing disfavor of God. And there's a lot of different places we could turn to look at this. I'm just going to draw your attention to Leviticus chapter 11. It's kind of interesting reading if you want to read the whole chapter. It's basically a grocery list. And in Leviticus chapter 11, we have a list of all kinds of food, all kinds of animals. And some of the animals are said, these are clean, you can eat them. And a bunch of the animals that are listed, these are unclean, you cannot eat them. And so they understood this was the way they were supposed to live. Here's the summary from Leviticus chapter 11. At the end, it said, God says this. These are the regulations concerning animals, birds, and every living thing that moves above, about in the water and every creature that moves along the ground. You must distinguish between the unclean and the clean, between living creatures that may be eaten and those that may not be eating. So they're constantly recognizing as God's special people the difference between this and that. This is unclean, that is okay. The rules say this I cannot touch, this should be kept separate, that can be brought in. This is the way that I can live, that is not the way I can live. This was part of their mentality to be a separate people. This was life for God's chosen people, and that's why Acts chapter 10 becomes such a pivotal chapter in our understanding of the church. Because in Acts chapter 10, God changes everything. Up until this point, the church has been a Jewish church. 
But Cornelius is not a Jew. Cornelius is a Gentile. Worse than that, he's a Roman soldier. So Cornelius would have been perceived as an outsider, one who has not been favored. He's the guy getting stepped on by the bird. And then God makes this announcement. God says, Cornelius can come in. We are going to extend the blessing that you all have received to Cornelius. Don't separate Jews from non-Jews anymore. Welcome everyone. And then Peter comes to this dramatic conclusion right in the middle of the passages, the key verse, Acts 10.34. Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. The, the very shape of the church has just been shifted. And I wonder if Peter, like, almost choked on these words when he had to say them. God doesn't show favorite. Because he's been raised with the understanding that God does. Everything that he would have been brought up when would cause him to believe that Jews were God's special people and that they are loved more than anybody else. And on the few occasions when a non-Jew, a Gentile was brought in, well, they were only brought in after they, like, followed the Jewish rituals. They had to adapt themselves to become Jewish in order to receive God's blessing. This is all changing right now. Peter's been raised to believe this, and it would have been hard to overcome. And I suppose getting a vision maybe helps with that kind of thing if you get a vision from God. But part of the, the thing I wonder about is why he had to see it three times. I'm thinking that's maybe because it was such a hard pill for him to swallow. God had to keep saying, no, look, this sheet that's coming down from heaven is covered with all these animals that f- from the beginning of time till now have been unclean. They are not acceptable for you to eat. And now I'm saying, it's okay. You can. And those people who eat them can be welcomed in. And Peter's conclusion after all that is, God doesn't show favoritism. And he actually reinforces it in the very next chapter by recognizing that all the good gifts that God has given to the Jewish people, he said every good gift is now given to the Gentiles also. They are being blessed in the same way that we have been blessed. I suppose that we have these kind of long, detailed descriptions in Acts chapter 10 because this mes- the, the message of God's favor being extended to these people would have been a difficult message for that whole community to hear. The early Christian Jewish community would have had a tough time with all of that because it's not like Peter is actually saying something like, you know what, God's love and God's favor, it is extended to hawk guys in the same way it's extended to cyclones. If that's all God was saying, we'd go, oh, no big deal. What God is actually saying in this is he's saying to these people, God's love is being extended to those who are outcasts, those who are outsiders, those who are evil, wicked people, those who are rapists and murderers, those who do not belong, those who have not had a place in God's kingdom. God's love is now being extended to them. That's what the content of this message is. God really does not show favoritism. He doesn't just love nice people. He doesn't just love those people who are part of his chosen family. He's saying God's love is extended to everyone, everywhere. There's no barriers now. There's no division. There's no limitations. Now, it was only a matter of time before some of this 
was going to happen. We realize that. And it shouldn't have been a surprise to Peter. And it shouldn't have been a surprise to that early community. It shouldn't be a surprise to us. If we've been paying attention to the book of Acts to this point, we've seen that from the very beginning, there's been this kind of widening circle. Since that promise came in Acts 1.8, where they said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on me, and you will receive, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So this promise has been coming true as we've been reading through this book. First it's a little clustered in Jerusalem, then it goes out to Judea, then it goes to Samaria, then we get this passage where the message goes to Ethiopia, and from that point it starts to go to the uttermost parts of the world. And this passage is a pivotal moment because from this point on, the missionary movement expands rapidly. So that within a single generation, we see that the message of the gospel goes to just about the entire known world. And the very next thing we read about in the next couple chapters is what is known as Paul's first missionary journey. And I think we've got a little map of where that takes us. It goes out across the water to Cyprus and then up to Asia Minor, and then he starts to go around to these little cities, and then he returns back. This is just the first of three extensive journeys, and if you want to do some further reading this afternoon, read about the other journeys. It's a, it's a growing circle. He first goes this far, and the second journey goes this far, and the third journey goes all the way to Rome, and the gospel message gets spread all over the place. And the reason it happens is because God doesn't show favoritism anymore. And the amazing thing about this is this, this special people that God had set aside, they were blessed. They received a special blessing from God. And God says now, that special blessing that they received is a blessing that everyone has access to. No limitations. This is the good news of God doesn't show favorites. It's the reason why we can be loved by God. It's the reason why we are included in God's. It's the reason why we send missionaries to Papua New Guinea. It's the reason why we believe in missions. Because the good news of God's love is for all people everywhere. And the reason this happens is because God is a missionary God. His plan from the beginning of time was that his love would be spread throughout the whole world. God is a God who wants to do new things in the world. He wants to shake up new things. He wants to transform people. God is a God who wants to spread his love, and he wants to use us to spread that love. One more question that came to my mind as I was studying this is, who gets converted in this passage? Peter or Cornelius? Who gets converted? They both do, and they both need to be converted. Cornelius needs to come to faith in Jesus Christ, and Peter needs to recognize God doesn't show favorites. God loves everybody. And when he gets that, the missionary movement of God goes forward. It makes me wonder how we look at our neighbors. When we look at our neighbors, do we think of our neighbors as being outcasts, as being outsiders, as being people who are maybe not favored by God or don't have special privilege? Or do we look at our neighbors and think they are loved by God. They are privileged people. And that God might want us to be the person who comes and brings the gospel to them. we got this other little map up here, which we've been looking at quite a bit, the neighborhood map. And so we took our eight closest neighbors, wherever we live, and we wrote them on this. And many of you have done that. I've seen these up on people's fridges in their houses. They've got names written on these. And so we started to pay attention. We learned their names. We learned some special things about our neighbors. This is the journey God wants us to take around our little neighborhood. 
And now we start to build bridges to them and maybe think about them as being God's special people. Maybe these are people that God wants to love through me. And so we start to figure out how we can do that. I'm so thankful I have a wife who listens to her husband's sermons. And so she decided we were going to have a neighborhood picnic. And so last night we had six out of our eight closest neighbors over for a little cookout. And we got a chance to chit-chat and talk, and we've known some of them for a while, and some of them are brand new. We actually got new neighbors who just moved in last week across the street, so we made it a welcome thing for them. And we start to listen to them and figure out what's going on in their lives and help them out. And we follow another little pattern that we've talked about here quite a bit. It's called prayer, care, and share. So the first thing we started doing was we just started praying for our neighbors. And once we got their names, that helped a lot. We could pray for them by name. When we see them, we drive them in. We were walking around the neighborhood. We find out different things about what's happening in our neighbor's lives. We pray about it. And then the next thing we do is we start, well, we start caring for them. We just start showing up and helping them out with things. This week, I got an older guy, Vern, who lives kitty corner across the street, and he was out there trying to chop out a stump, and it's like 90 degrees old, and he's old, and he's had a stroke. And I'm like, why is this guy out there doing that? Well, I should care enough to go over there and check on him. So... I went over there and took the shovel out of his hand and said, we're not taking that stump out today. Just live there. I think it's on my, it's on my to-do list for tomorrow, maybe. We, well, there's ways we care for people, right? We just show up. I was thinking about that when you guys were showing your slides up here. So many of those slides are, you just show up. You come to their village and you have a meal with them and you ask questions about their education. Do they have a school? Do they have medical care? You try to figure out what, where are they at? You've been praying for them. Now you show up, you care for them. And then the last thing we do is then when opportunities come up, we share. We tell them about who we are and what we value, what's important to us. We tell them about the gospel. We tell them about God's love. We tell them about a God who loves everybody, a God who wants to pour his love into their life, a God who doesn't pick favorites, a God who says um, Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again from the dead so that you could have forgiveness, so that I could have forgiveness. That's the message that we bring. So our hope is that we, because God is a missionary God who does not show favorites, we become a missionary people who do not have favorites either. We just go love our neighbors, and that means we love Cedar Rapids, and that's what it means to be a missionary people. Let's pray about that. God, we want to come to you again today and give you thanks because of your great love for us. We recognize you are a good and generous God, and you have chosen for some unknown reason to bless people, to love people, to reach out to people, to care for people. And God, you've included us in all of that, and we understand your heart is to include people all over the world. So God, we pray that you'll help us to be missionaries, to see the world through missionary eyes, to love our neighbors, and to love Cedar Rapids in the way that you call us to. I want to pray specifically for those maybe who have special need in our community. We recognize, God, that there are those who are hurting. There are those who are sick. There are those who are without work. There's those who are in difficult, broken relationships. There's those who are facing the challenges of prejudice and um, favoritism within their own lives. God, we recognize that there's a lot of need within our community. And we care about that because we care about these people. So God, we pray that you'll uh, touch anyone who's here today in a special way, help them to recognize your hand upon them. And God, as we go out to, to pray and to care for and to share with our community, that you'll bless our neighbors as well. God, we thank you for those who take up the call to go to faraway places on the other ends of the world. We pray that you'll help us as a church to continue to uh, 
understand our proper response to bringing the gospel uh, around the globe and that you'll continue to raise up the resources that we need in order to do that. Raise up people, raise up prayer, raise up dollars, raise up whatever it is, God, that you desire for us to give in order to continue to spread the good news of your gospel. We thank you, God, for uh, this place and for the ways that we can do that in our very own neighborhood. God, we do pray again a special blessing upon the the ministry of Christian camps and for the work that they're doing this summer. We pray for the work of Vacation Bible School and the work they're going to do to reach out to our neighborhood kids. We pray for those, God, who are faithful every day in praying and, and lifting up the needs of our people. We thank you, God, for those who serve on the in the food pantry, who pass out groceries to those who are hungry. God, we thank you for those who take seriously this call and this uh, commission that we have to love um, our neighbors well. So God, continue to strengthen us and support us to that end. And we'll be very careful, God, to give you all the praise and all the glory for the good things that you want to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. We invite you to continue to think about your response to the message and to the word of God today. And one of the ways we invite that is by giving gifts and offerings. Uh, We feel blessed, and one of the ways we respond to that blessing is by giving back to God gifts. Uh, We also invite you to take the uh, tear-off slips and put those in the basket as they're passed today.